Thank you for listening today on Podcast with Pastor Larry. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Feel free to check us out at podcastwithpastorlarry.com. In just a moment, Pastor Larry will be teaching us a constant truth from God's Word to help us in this always changing world. You can always find more teaching with Pastor Larry at Freedom Ministries through our Facebook page at Freedom in Virginia or on our YouTube channel at Freedom Church for, that's the number four, others. That would be Freedom Church for others. Now, let's get to learning the Bible to live the Bible with Pastor Larry. Hi, I'm Pastor Larry with Freedom Ministries. Thanks for joining me today. It's Thursday, April the 14th. Uh, tomorrow is Good Friday. What's so good about Good Friday when someone died? We're talking about the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the third day where Jesus rose again from the grave. Hey, thanks for joining me today. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're listening in on uh, Facebook Live, awesome, great. Glad you could take the time to be a part of this Bible study and watch this video. If you're part of the podcast, that means you're listening in through audio and you're a part of the podcast, maybe on whatever platform you get your podcast from, or you are connecting and staying subscribed to, which is free of charge, through Pastor Larry podcast with PastorLarry.com. That's awesome. Glad you're a part of this today as well. I'm going to take a break from our normal study that we've been in for many weeks on growing a deeper faith and a closer relationship with God. And today, leading up to Good Friday and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to take today and talk to you about something that's very, very important. We're going to dig right in. So thanks for joining. Stay in there. Hang in there. Listen. Pay attention. I'm going to talk about the cross. What about the cross? Why is it so significant? And what does it mean to us today? There are a lot of scriptures and a lot of players here. There are a lot of participants when it comes to the cross of Christ. And there are a lot of events that surrounded this whole thing of Jesus going to Calvary. It's called Golgotha. Well, it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and we get the word, it's cronium. That is the Greek word for where Jesus was taken to be hung. When we get the English word from that, it's cranium. It's known as, if you go to Jerusalem and you take a tour there, you can see it is called the place of the skull. If you were to look at it, you could see what looks like, because of holes and caves, it looks like literally two eyes and a nose. It looks like a skull. We're going to talk about kind of the events surrounding that. For instance, when we think of Jesus, he's betrayed in the garden by Judas Iscariot, you know, one of his own. Jesus is falsely tried and he's wrongfully convicted. He went through a mockery of a trial. 
behind closed doors with a lot of accusations, all lies. Jesus is crucified, as I've said, after this mockery, after this beating that took, this beating that took all night. Then they took him to Calvary to crucify him. Jesus descends, according to the scriptures, into hell and then sets the captives free. He literally obtains the keys and victory over life and death and victoriously gives every person by what he did, if they put their faith and trust in him, if you do that, you too can have this victory. And then after three days, he is resurrected. Jesus even shows himself alive nearly 40 days after his resurrection and then ascends back to heaven. I want to talk about that because the focal point here about the cross has everything to do with Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Yes, the principal character is Jesus, but there are some others like Pontius Pilate and King Herod and even the disciples, those who were the closest to Jesus. What part did they play? Where even were they? when all of this was taking place. We're going to talk about that today. So excuse me for taking a break from our normal study, but I believe that not only will this encourage you, it'll challenge your thinking process and may even give you some insight about things you didn't know to give you a greater understanding. What was so good about why they call this Good Friday? Let's first talk about today, and let me go over with you, the surrounding things of the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. Why did they arrest him? Why was there so much betrayal? During the last year of Jesus's earthly ministry, the Jewish leaders became excessively hostile towards him. And they had taken counsel to kill him. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 14, or excuse me, Matthew 26, 4, and they took counsel that they might take Jesus covertly and kill him. Oh, yes, they wanted to do it in secret, and they wanted to make sure that this was wrapped up quickly with all the bells and whistles, make sure it had a pretty bow on it. They were absolutely controlling the government of which they hated. The Jewish people hated the Roman government. They hated the oppression. They hated the dictatorship. And yet, what do we find them doing? Going to them, manipulating them to get what they wanted, and what was it that they wanted? They wanted Jesus killed, gone. But why? There's only one answer and one word, envy. Their plans was expedited by they had someone come in from the inside, a traitor. His name was Judas, Judas of Iscariot. And they approached him, and they bargained with him. 
And they gave him money. money. He sold himself out to portray his master for money. The Bible does say in Matthew 26, and we will be in Matthew a lot, and to get the full picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you have to take all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and pull the writings together to get the big picture, but we're going to gain some great insight here, mainly from the writing of Matthew. Matthew says in Matthew 26, verses 14, 15, and 16, Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said to them, What will you give me if I hand him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. From that moment, he searched for an opportunity to betray him. So he wanted to betray him, and obviously the religious leaders were very inclined to take this offer. Judas led them to Christ's retreat. What was that? In the deep shade of the olive trees in what we know as the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was there surrounding himself without resistance. He was bound and he was taken in to the city. The Bible says, again, we go to Matthew in the same chapter of verse of chapter 26. And let me read you several verses so you can understand the context of what's happening. In Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him was a great crowd and swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who betrayed him had given him a sign, saying, When I shall kiss the man, seize him. How do we know who he's going to be? It'll be the one that I kiss. He immediately came to Jesus, verse 49 says, and said, Hell, Rabbi, which means Hell, teacher, he kissed him. What gall and hypocrisy in his mouth, huh? Verse 50, and Jesus said, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Immediately, verse 51, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that was Peter. Then Jesus said to him in verse 52, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will at once give me more than twelve legions of angels? I could do that. I don't need your help. But how then, Jesus said, would the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus was going to fulfill the prophets that had been saying that Jesus was going to come and he was going to give his life willingly, lay down his life for the world. And that's exactly what he's going to do. So he did not allow anything to interrupt that. Why? He was accomplishing the will of the Father. 
And then verse 55 of Matthew 26, at the same moment, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a thief to take me with swords and clubs? Daily I sat with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me there. But then all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Very interesting of what the scriptures is letting us know and give us insight of what's happening here. So we move from the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus, and now we go to the trial of Jesus, and the plot thickens. Actually, Jesus wasn't on trial. It was the world on trial. It was about midnight when Jesus was arrested, and he was hurried to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest where the Jewish Sanhedrin were already assembled. And so they gathered there. And again, Matthew 26, verse 3 and 4 says, Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people gathered into the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and took counsel that they may take Jesus covertly and kill him. This was the religious people, the religious leaders of the day. And here they are, wanting to eradicate the Messiah. This so-called trial, mockery of a trial, was shameful, and it was illegal. And it was a legal part of the justice system. And Matthew 26, verses 59 through 68, give us great insight. And I wish we had time to discover that today, uh, but you can read about that again in Matthew 26, and we find so much about what's happening. They come to Jesus and ask him who he is and that he's uttered blasphemy because Jesus had said that he is the Son of God, and no one would say that they are God. But we know from the Scriptures, and we know based on fact that he is God, robed in human flesh, but they could not see past their law. They could not see past their flesh to understand and notice that God, the Messiah, whom they've been waiting for and whom they have been foretold that was coming, was standing right before them. They wanted their own own God. This is what religious systems do. They create within themselves their own God in their own doctrine. This council and this Sanhedrin and these scribes had bribed witnesses. They had angry passions and with brute force and abusive actions they had taken in all of this was a part of this trial. They spit in his face. They mocked him. And they struck him as he stood bound and blindfold. Can you imagine for a moment that if I was to hit you in the face, you would be able to duck and you would be able to avert the hit that was coming? I wouldn't do that to you. But they would blindfold Jesus and then strike him. What this means is that he was taking on the full p- 
punishment. He was taking on the full brunt of the blows. And this is part of the passages that would be fulfilled in scriptures where he would take on the full payment of our sins. Jesus was alone and helpless before his accusers. And what do we come to with this mockery of a trial that was falsely instituted? All these lies, they came away with the verdict, guilty. But the Jewish Sanhedrin had limited authority. And they had no power to execute the sentences of death. That's not what Jews did. Nor even to try a capital offense. So what did they do? They had to go to the Romans. They had to go to the government. This could only be done by the Roman government. Thus they led Jesus to Pontius Pilate, the governor of the district, with lies and gall in their mouth. And they would lie to get him to persecute and kill Jesus. And the fact is, on many occasions, Pilate himself, this man is innocent. He would say this man is innocent. His wife, even in a dream, told Pilate, have nothing to do with this innocent, righteous man. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verses 1 through 2, When the morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, but they knew he couldn't. They couldn't. So they went to Pilate. And when they had bound him, they led him away and handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Pilate attempted to, he tried to, dissuade. He tried to break up this angry mob, but finally relented by giving them a choice. You want Jesus or Barabbas? You want Jesus or another guy? The hostile crowd asked for Barabbas and demanded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Kill him! Kill him! Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Oh, we can look out through the historic events of scriptures and we can find that they would lie and even manipulate Pilate. They even threatened him that they would go to Caesar if they didn't get what they want. And the Romans, well, they didn't invent They did not invent the crucifixion. They most definitely perfected it. The Persians created this. And yet the Persians, they worshipped the ground. They worshipped Mother Earth. And that is why hanging or lifting someone up to kill them was invented because they believed that anyone died on the ground was against their belief. And it would degrade their belief of Mother Earth, and you didn't disregard that. And so they would lift up a person to kill them. And yet the Jews knew that if anyone was blasphemous, according to the Levitical law, that they were to be cast down 
and stoned, yet they could not carry that out themselves. And yet, not only did Jesus, he wasn't guilty of this because he was God in the flesh. They went to the Roman government because they knew that they would take care of it. And their route of uh, this operandum, if you will, is, oh, by the way, he claims to be God. Oh, he claims to be God. Yes, he claims to be king. And we have no other king other than hell king Caesar. Wait a minute. The very ones who hated the government, who felt oppressed by the government, who wanted to be freed from the oppression of the government and spoke out in many occasions of uh, protest against the government, now all of a sudden wants the government's help and wants to support and give their allegiance to the government? What hypocrisy. And so we find this whole mockery of a trial is in full play. Pilate finally issues the full order. Pilate is the classic example of an principled achiever who will sacrifice what is right to accomplish his own selfish goals. He didn't want to be guilty of anything. He didn't want to be told on to Daddy Caesar. He didn't want to not have the people support him. So he gave in to the demands of the crowd rather than risk a personal attack against his career. After all, elections are important, and we want to be popular with the people. This is the temptation to all people who hold positions of power and authority. But now we come to the crucifixion of Christ, the cross. Crucifixions was the Romans' most severe severe form of execution. It was reserved for slaves and criminals, and by law, no Roman could be crucified. Only those who were not Roman, Jews for sure, And while they didn't, as I said before, invent crucifixion, they most definitely perfected. And sometimes crucifixions went on for days and it was it was on display. Don't cross Rome. If you were an insurrectionist, if you were a murderer, if you had commit some capital crime, the crucifixion was reserved for you. And this is their way of thwarting anyone who may have the idea of coming against Rome. And so this was a big display and they would walk them down the road and they would put them out to display for all that came by to see this is not what you want. So don't turned against us. And so the big parade and would be initiated, and sometimes this would go on for days. This was a slow death. This was an excruciating, painful death on purpose by asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe, so you suffocated. And sometimes they would prolong this. For all to see, this was excruciating and painful. Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
in less than nine hours after his arrest. So from midnight, now 9 a.m. the next day, Jesus is hung on the cross of Calvary at 9 a.m. the next morning. For the first three hours, 9 to noon, Jesus was at the mercy of the world that was full of hatred. It was man's cross at this moment. And we know that through the record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, some often say and phrase this or use the analogy of the last seven words of Jesus, but that's actually inaccurate. Jesus said seven phrases during the six hours that Jesus would hang on the cross. Jesus would give six statements, or seven statements, excuse me, I I think I said six, seven last statements or phrases while Jesus was on the cross during the six hours. So from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus made seven statements. I wish I had time to go over those. I will go over those on Good Friday service here uh, tomorrow at our Good Friday service at 7 p.m. and then on Easter. But when we think about Jesus on the cross, when noon came, the scene changed, and we know not only is it in the historical records of Rome, but also through the scriptures, great darkness fell, and it covered the land for three hours. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 45, now from the sixth hour, which was noon, until the ninth hour, 3 p.m., there was darkness over the entire land. What's happening? It is not possible to put the resurrection to death. The resurrection referring to Christ, he had to give his life. He had to give his life to God. And God took the curse. God took the sin of all the world and at that moment laid it on Jesus Christ. It has now become God's place of execution. The execution of judgment against sin. And this is what's so good about Good Friday. The one hanging there, though sinless, was struck with the full lightning bolt of God's wrath that mankind deserved. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us, was taking on the full wrath and payment of our sins. The one upon the cross receiving the full stroke of its fury. For he took upon himself voluntarily and vicariously the sins of the world. The cross now was God's altar. And what's really unique about this is at the same time that the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God was being crucified on the cross just down the road in the temple. Thousands of lambs were being slaughtered and their blood being let out at the temple for Passover. 
how significant Jesus giving himself once and for all as the eternal spotless Lamb of God for us. And Jesus on the cross where the Lamb of God laid down his spotless life, a perfect and eternal sacrifice. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that you were not redeemed from your vain way of life, inherited from your fathers with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is what's so good about Good Friday. It is the cross. It is the payment that you and I could not pay, that we owed, that we were indebted to, and yet Christ paid it all. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ was man's substitute, dying our death and bearing our sins in our place. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What is so good about Good Friday? Jesus became sin for you and me. Oh, he wasn't dying his death. He wasn't dying for his sins. No. He was giving his life for you and me. This is what's so wonderful. Yes, when people look at the cross, they see it as gory and and horrific. But when we as believers and those who've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we see the truth of the redemptive work of the cross of Calvary, we don't see it as a gory place. We see it as a glorious place. At the end of those next three hours, now 3 p.m., Jesus had been on the cross for six hours. Jesus cries out to God. This is one of his sayings. In Matthew 26, 46, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is to say, my God, my God, you've turned your back on me. This was what's what happened at noon. Excuse me, not 3 p.m. This was taking place at noon. Darkness fell, and at that moment, God turned his back on his son and allowed the whole weight of sin and the curse of sin fall on his son. And Jesus cries out this statement. It was at that moment Jesus was feeling the full wrath of God. He was abandoned, separated, cut off, and no longer in communication with the Father. He is now paying the penalty of sin, tasting death for every one of us. After the darkness has passed, it's no longer noon. Jesus, it's nearing 3 p.m. now. Jesus makes another couple of statements. The last two of the seven 
The first one is, it is finished. Tetelestai. Which means, it is done. Oh, not that we are done, not that Jesus is done, not that the crowd is done. Well, the world had their way. This didn't quite work out like we thought, so we gave it a good try. It's over. No, that is not what it is done. What it means is, it means that what Christ has accomplished is finished. It's done. It's completed. There's nothing else to do. The work has been completed. What God set out to do for the redemption and the recovery and the salvation and the deliverance of the world now has taken place. And the ultimate final price for sin has now been paid in full. It is finished. Now mankind's sin it could be fully, justly forgiven. And mankind can now be reconciled to a holy God. It is finished. And I love that. And then Jesus says, as he gives himself up and dies his own death, says as his last statement, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. No man took his life from him. We know that Jesus was already dead when the soldiers went to break the legs of the men that were there. See, typically they hung on the cross for sometimes days in excruciating amount of pain that I've already mentioned, but Passover was coming, and so the Jews demanded that these men be taken down. Why? Well, such hypocrisy. We don't want to see that gory business and have that up while we eat. And so to go ahead and finish the deal, they would break the legs, therefore not allowing the individuals to stand up and take a breath and then lower themselves all in excruciating pain to let out their breath. And they did that to the one on the left of Jesus and one on the right of Jesus. But when they got to Jesus, they noticed he was already dead. And so they stuck a sword, which was prophesied by the priest, that when they stuck that sword into his side, that water and blood flowed forth. The sack around the heart that is filled with water, the blood and the water came out of Jesus' side, which lets us know he had already died. He had died of cardiac arrest from all the pain and excruciating agony. He gave his life. And Jesus declared, though, because they took him down and put him in a borrowed tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, this is over, it is finished, they thought, meaning differently. No, no, no. Jesus had proclaimed that if you tear down this temple, I'm going to take it up again. I'm going to rebuild this. And if when I give my life, I'm going to raise it up again. And Jesus had declared in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus came forth, speaking of this resurrection now, 
He came forth from the tomb, and it simply confirmed everything and proved what Jesus had said. And you can read about that in its totality in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8. But the miracle was his death. This is what's so good about Good Friday. He who is the resurrection, the eternal one, the great I am, actually died. And he died the death of a lost, guilty soul. That's us. This is absolutely phenomenal. This is what's so good. He died my death. His resurrection was fully in line with who he was and who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. And it isn't possible, the Bible says in Acts 2.24, for death to hold him. For 40 days, his resurrection, the risen Christ, after his resurrection, this risen Christ was seen by numerous people. We call them eyewitnesses. And there are 10 recorded appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And at one time, he was seen of over 500 people. Amazing. This isn't subjective truth. This is objective truth. It's based on facts. This is recorded. There are eyewitnesses. If you were to have eyewitnesses, typically, um, the fact is, the more eyewitnesses you have of an event, the more you're able to collaborate and get the full story. And every one of these eyewitnesses said the same thing, not only validifying, but substantiating Christ's claims. He is risen. After this, Jesus gave a few final commissions to his disciples, and then he ascended back to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And you say, what is so good about Good Friday? Well, understanding all the totality of what happened, the end result is Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission, removal of sins. This is what Jesus did through the cross work of Calvary. So from the cross, we can be forgiven of our sins, but through the resurrection, we can be given eternal life. My friend, you don't get eternal life except through the person who actually accomplished what he proclaimed. There have been many prophets and many so-called people who claim uh, to be able to give this, but they're all dead. But there has been one, just one. If they wanted to eradicate Christianity and nullify this and completely remove this from all history and do away with God and Jesus— all they had to do was produce a body, and they couldn't. Why? It wasn't there. He's walking around. He's alive. And so the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the entire story. And so it's good. It's not good that people die 
But Jesus' death was different, and the whole story is different. Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin for us, right? That is what the Bible lets us know. God made him become sin for us. And the very first words as I close, one of the seven sayings that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary, the very first one was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is thinking of others. Jesus is thinking of us, others, always. Forgive them. This is what it's about, forgiveness. My friend, have you experienced the true forgiveness of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave a gift. That gift is his son. What was the gift? He gave his son to die on a cross for our payment. He is our propitiation. He is our substitute. He died. Christ died our death. All of those stripes, all of those beatings, all the crown of thorns, those nails, that death, the wages of sin is death. What we earn, but Christ didn't earn it. The spotless lamb gave his life for us. My friend, have you ever experienced Good Friday? Tomorrow's Good Friday. What a monumental day for us. I trust and pray that this has been your life, that this is where you are, that you are found on good standing and in a right relationship with God on Good Friday. If not, you can be by putting your faith and trust in what the Bible says. Nope, not hopeless faith, not aimless faith, but real faith that's based on facts. My friend, don't let anyone confuse you. This event happened. This took place. And through all the mockery, through all centuries and ages of people and dictators and governments and agnostics and atheists and so on and so forth, trying to erase this man and this book called the Bible, Jesus is still here. The Bible is still here. And the Bible lets us know that his word is forever reserved and preserved and settled in the heavens. His word is what we believe in. And so I trust and pray that this is where you are. So thanks for joining me today as we learned a little bit about the cross and its significance what it means to us today. As always, you are loved and you're prayed for. If you are anywhere near us, join us tomorrow for a good Friday service. There's going to be an interactive drama as well as many other things. We're so looking forward to having that evening with you as a celebration. We're going to take the supper together, Lord's Cup uh, together, and communion. What a wonderful celebration as we do this in remembrance of him. And then on Easter Sunday, hope that you can join us for resurrection. And uh, as we celebrate that he is not dead, 
and what that means in its totality, as well as that service will be online on Sunday at 1030. But if you're anywhere near us, join us and come on campus for the in-person service. Nothing can replace it. Until then, God bless you and happy resurrection. Thanks for joining us today for podcast with Pastor Larry. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Connect with Pastor Larry at podcastwithpastorlarry.com to hear weekly biblical teaching. You can always find more teaching of Pastor Larry at Freedom Ministries through our Facebook page at Freedom in Virginia or on our YouTube channel at Freedom Church for, that's the number for others. That would be Freedom Church for others. This is a listener-supported podcast. Feel free to partner with us to further our reach of the gospel to the world. If you feel led to give, please log on to PastorLarry.org. Again, thanks for connecting to Podcast with Pastor Larry.